0: Hey legends, I'm Eliza Lee and you're listening to The Making of an Incredible MD, the podcast for aspiring medical professionals. Each week, we'll bring in a current MD student and a practicing physician to talk about an important topic in the medical field. From the effects of climate change to the influence of social media on our health, we'll uncover a maze of different perspectives and end each episode with an ethical dilemma for us all to consider. Stay tuned as we literally hear the making of these incredible MDs unfold right before our ears. I am so grateful that today's guest, Vikram, was able to take a minute out of his insane new normal schedule as a doctor serving on the front lines, or shall we say last lines right now. Having trained originally in the States and India, Vikram is now practicing as a junior doctor at Monash Health here in Melbourne, where he's been placed into the emergency department due to the very real COVID crisis. We planned this episode about breaking bad news well before Melbourne went into lockdown number two and a second wave of infections have ravaged our hospitals. So this episode hopefully can give everyone a bit of context of how doctors are breaking bad news to families on the daily now during this pandemic. best, um, okay. Yeah. So there you go. Tip for when you get out of the, the ED. <laughs> <laughs> i getting out of the ED. Oh, bless. Yeah, Vic didn't know what Zoom was, so that's why the audio sounds a bit different today. But here we go to the recording. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Vic, in your extraordinary, um, unprecedented schedule that you are now experiencing. Um, And I guess before anything else, currently working on the front lines, or as we now know, the last lines, um, Vic, just how are you going?
1: Yeah, um... I don't think people really realise how challenging it is. Um, In a way, I was explaining to someone, I was actually explaining to a police officer yesterday, and she asked me, um, you know, how are you guys going through this? And I said, well, similar to what I'm imagining you're going through, um, you know, when when you get into medicine, they have to basically train you, you're a doctor, therefore you help. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes a very simple one plus one equals two approach to things. Um, Yesterday, I had a patient with covid uh, or suspected COVID, and then later got diagnosed with COVID, and um, people go, oh, so the police officer said who brought the patient in said, so, you know, how how can you go and put yourself in danger? Well, it's sort of like when you tell the kids who are going into war, um, you know, you, you don't you don't make it an, an option. You just say this is this is your responsibility, this is your duty, and it doesn't really become an option. They just sort of sign up and off they go to war, and it's never questioned. And so in the same way um, in medical. In the medical field, you, you have a duty, you have, you have a role. Um, and so that's just how it works. And so it, you don't really get a chance to think so much, you know, how am I going? It's more or less, how are the patients going? Let me get through this process. And then let me think about myself. It is changing. So the really good thing is, uh, we now have a buddy system where we pair it off and we ask you know, each other, hey, how are you going? Are you taking care of yourself? And that's obviously... a a lot more involved now Mm. um but i i I trained in the american system and and there they've got very little self-care um i I went to india i worked there they they have very little self-care luckily in melbourne we've got a real sense of you know how are we going how are you taking care of yourself and that's really emphasized in this pandemic
0: yeah because i even remember bumping into you on the street which was so random a few months ago when it all started and we were just like gosh even back then we were like we're missing human connection um and so yeah <laughs> now months later um has the second wave i guess um affected you in that process
1: yeah definitely um the second wave is is a lot worse than the first wave in the and um and luckily um so I was moved into the ED for the second wave, mm. in a way. Um, and um, c- human communication, or human just touch, it is a big thing. And we don't touch, like, you know, we don't shake hands, we don't hug, we don't. And so we do this thing with the elbows, which I'm sure a lot of you guys do as well. Um, but it's just not the same. And so it is difficult. Um, but as long as you, I don't know, you have to have a bit of resilience. And that's okay to develop.
0: Obviously, on behalf of everyone and on behalf of all of our students who are listening, thank you so much for the incredible work that you do in putting yourselves in harm's way for everyone who is coming through the ED now. So before we we... get paid
1: as well, so that's
0: <laughs> always good. <laughs> always good to have perspective. Um, it is. I guess before we start, to give a bit of background on yourself, can you give us a bit of a background on your journey um, through practicing in the States, India, to where you are now on the front lines um, in the ED?
1: Yeah, so I'm a, um, what, what we call is a, a HMO-4 or a PGY-4, um, so I'm a resident um, in um, Monash Medical Centre and so I'm not in the training, in any training programme. Um, I finished my internship and I've done three years of working in a hospital, so I'm still considered a junior doctor and so in that sense, still got a long ways to go. Um, I did try. I did study in India. I worked there for two years, and that was an amazing experience. Um, it completely changed my perspective of humanity in a way. Came back to Melbourne, had to reset some exams, and managed to get a really good, broad experience in Melbourne. So I worked in quite a few hospitals, worked in private, public, um, a lot of the big hospitals, and so that's been a really good experience. I'm now settled in Monash Health, and that's been a really, really wonderful uh, working working culture. And so I'm really lucky to be there.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. And just before we hopped on, I guess you gave us a bit of context So to, to go through maybe that again. For some context, how much experience have you sort of had breaking bad news directly to patients transitioning from like a medical student to a doctor versus now as you know, a junior doctor?
1: Yeah, um, that's a really good question. So, yeah, before we were talking about, uh, I was saying to Eliza, maybe the best person to speak to breaking bad news in in a pure sense of breaking bad news, it would be oncologists. So, in in all medical professions, oncologists break the most bad news. They might break it ten, twenty times a month. At the moment, I'm in the emergency department, and so you, we we tend to not break bad news. We sort of just tend to say, you know, we, we are sorry, um, you, uh, your loved one has passed away. And so it's not so much a, a didactal conversation. It's more or less one way, and we just try and support the emotional component that they need, um, whereas an oncologist is trying to really, um, I guess, you know, elicit the bad news and gather information and try and provide support and then try and come up with a strategy or, or a team approach to say, how are we going to get through this? And so there are differences in, obviously, where you are located. And it's funny because, you know, if you go back to the 1950s, 1960s, breaking bad news wasn't a thing, Onco- not not even oncologists, because they would it would be considered inhumane to say, oh, this person's got cancer, and say, listen, we've got no hope for you. Um, but the landscape has changed mm. um, from 1950s, 1960s, going forwards, when we can now give hope in a way, or we can give, uh, where we have to give more, you know, uh, detailed information, because it's not just we are sorry, and this is how much time you have. It's, you know, we have the X, Y, Z. These are the benefits of X. These are the benefits of Y. And so it's a very detailed approach now.
0: Yeah, and just so to go through some of those finer details of like, so for instance, like the setting that you're going to tell people in or whether who is even involved in that process and allowed to be involved in that conversation, um, can you talk us through sort of those considerations when, when breaking bad news?
1: So um, in medical school, they, they they do teach you how to break bad news, um, and unfortunately, the only real way to get is is hands-on experience, or or have a very good or have a very good actor who who you can train with repeatedly. Mm. In COVID, surprisingly, it, it's actually um, it's it's changed. So um, the situation now is we don't have. So unfortunately, yesterday I had one of my patients die, and so we. We, don't, we have to split up the conversation in just two people in each room. So mm-hmm. although the whole family might be waiting outside, we only let two people in at a time. And so you're sort of having a split discussion. And it can be a bit challenging in that setting of COVID where you can't let everyone to sort of rush in. Uh, but uh, yes, you, you mentioned, um, the, I, I think you mentioned the setting and there, there's a whole um, approach called spikes. And again, it came from the American cardio, um, oncologists. Mm-hmm. So not the cardiologists, the oncologists. Um, and so really a lot of the research around this comes from American oncology. They sort of came up with this SPIKES approach, and which is now what is taught in all medical schools I'm pretty sure, um, around the world and that's just basically where really you're giving the bad news um, you're then trying to, it was obviously the, there's an acronym called SPIKES and that's, um, you know, it's it's setting, um, that's this um, mm-hmm. or, the, or the setup and then there's P, which is the perception. You're trying to get the the patients what they know, um, and then you're inviting them to talk, and then you're giving the knowledge, and then you're assessing their emotion, and then um, you're providing a summary. So that's very brief. um, The spikes approach, but ideally, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to create a conversation, Um, and the setting is probably one of the most important ones because that sets up the whole. I guess it sets up the conversation, and so I. A lot of people mess that up. Um, they don't take you to, to a separate place or they don't set up a family room.
0: Right. And I
1: find that's probably the one that we can really improve on the most.
0: Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I guess, like, on the your side of things, as the breaker of bad news, how does that take an emotional burden on, on you as the one who's delivering that? And how do you deal with that?
1: It's very obvious when, as a junior doctor, they, they, they pick up that you're a junior doctor and um, unless you've had the experience of breaking bad news it can come across as very shambled and so you find yourself going like, I don't want to swear but basically you're going, oh my god, I am such an idiot or you you, you really internally reflect in yourself going, wow, this was really poor um, and, and that's a mistake, That you, 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 it's not about you, it's about the person um, and you really, at the end of the day it's the empathy that you give to the patient and so you sort of have to put your own um, if you can take that sort of one, it, it, it takes a lot of courage to break bad news. And so if you can say to yourself, listen, whatever happens, you're there to help them. You may not do the best job, but as a junior doctor, you are meant to break bad news. Ideally, you have your consultant around mm-hmm. who you know, you sit and watch and you watch a couple, but at some point you do have to, you know, go for it yourself. And so if you can at least go, listen, I'm, I'm trying to do my best that I can. I am doing this for my patient. Um, then... you. The ethics behind it is that you're doing the right thing, right? And so you'll get the details with time, but as long as you can say, listen, I'm trying, I'm doing this because this is for my patient's benefit, then as long as you, you can always stand on that side of the line, you're going to be fine as a doctor.
0: Yeah. And in terms of inclusion of that conversation, and who can be, um, a, a, who is allowed to access maybe the information that you're going to have in that conversation? What are some of the legally binding principles around um, confidentiality of, of bad news and results, and what that?
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a good question, actually. Um, what are the legally binding? Um, so, you know, sort of going back, if you, in a way, in, in terms of history, um, it used to be that you don't tell information to the patients. It really was. And I've right. been I've worked in India where this where it was you tell the family, you don't tell the patient. Right. So the family will know, but the patient doesn't know. Yeah. Um, and so in a way it's sort of cultural. Um, but what they tend what they found was the Europeans, the Australians, the Americans were all very similar in their approach. About 95% of people wanted to know all the information. And so um, legally, you are obliged. If you if you tell that you know you diagnose that this person has cancer, then certainly you can go and get more information before you break the news to the person. You don't have to go at, at the same time every day. Go this this is the most up to date information I have. You can collate your information before you tell the patient. But the patient has a right to know. Mm. And so if for example um, you did a CT scan, so in the ED this is very common, um, and it happens all the time. They come in with, let's say they come in with a heart attack, you know, their chest pain, and then you do a, a chest x-ray, and then you find a lump on mm. the chest x-ray, and you don't tell them about that lump on the chest x-ray, then, well, you've done goofed, because they have a right to know that, listen, it, and let's just say, for example, um, on the chest x-ray, it, it, it shows, uh, not just a lump, let's make it very severe, let's say they've got, you know, uh, metis, uh, metis, they've got METs on, on the x-ray, it looks really bad,
0: mm.
1: well, you, they have a right to know. And they may not know that, um, and they may only have a few months to live, but they have the patient has a right to their own, auto, own autonomy. And so you need to give all the information um, that you have, and you can't sort of um, curate the information for the patient. The patient has to curate them that themselves
0: yeah no absolutely at the end of also every episode um we always end with a bit of an ethical dilemma but i, I think in this scenario it's more of a real life reality for you um, yep. because we're talking about sort of your experiences in the ed just the past two days but how do you break maybe the bad news of maybe an a covid patient is now going into the icu and probably on a d- downhill spiral to um the family of that patient you
1: know this is this is such a good question it's so funny i've had I've had, it's, it's, this is going to sound really silly, but I've had old people come up to me and say, Hey Vic, am I going to die? And they say it in a very pragmatic way. And because they all know the information of COVID, so it's so disseminated. So before they even come in, they might come in with just a bit of a cough and they say, Hey man, am I going to die? I had a 20 year old come up to me and say, this was really quite funny. He was 20 years old, had a bit of a cough. And he said, listen, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out hard. Just tell me right now so I can, I can go out and I'll just do all my all my drugs i'll do all the heaps of cocaine i'll do xanax i'll I'll just do everything just tell me straight and i just had a chuckle and i was like listen mate we don't know anything you're 20 years old it's very likely that you're going to be completely fine i had a 92 year old who said who looked at me and just said listen like he had no covid symptoms he had no cough no nothing he had a little bit of dizziness, and that's why he came in. It was a little bit unsteady, and he, said, and he just looked at me and said, "Am going to die?" And I was like, <laughs> "So some people are very pra- so." It's unfortunately made people very pragmatic about their mortality.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the patient I had yesterday, unfortunately, I had to tell
1: the the uh, she had dementia, and so she was an aged care patient, and obviously no, at the moment there's an aged care outbreak, and so a lot of the aged care people um, patients, I should say, um, have mental health illness or not mental have. Um, cognitive decline and so they may not be aware of their own situation so you're really breaking bad news to the family and um it's uh but they're aware as well so the family's aware so in a way because it's a pandemic um because it's happening to everyone
0: Mm. it's
1: actually in in a way it's become easier to break that news
0: right Vikram's ability to offer insight through story and learnings through the perspective of history is just so fascinating to hear. Hope you enjoyed that snippet and we'll catch you on the next episode where we talk about breaking bad news more in general from medical student Minaj. See you then!